your Bible, we're going to be back over in Acts, Acts chapter 1 and 2. I got, I got kind of hung up on this. I, I enjoyed that last week on Pentecost, and uh, we're going to kind of go back to that a little bit more and, and look for encouragement. Uh, I, I do believe, and I felt like it last week, felt like there was some encouragement came out of uh, Pentecost, not so much Babylon, but out of Pentecost. And so we're going to go back there a little bit today. As I was studying on this this week, I, I, again, I've got that little book that gives me stories, and I like these stories that I get to, to tell you guys. And one of the stories they told was about uh, a New Year's Day parade, and there was a float, big old float, going right down the middle of King, or King Street, Main Street. I won't say King Street. I wouldn't put that on y'all for nothing. But right, that's the Main Street now through Boone. But anyway, that, this parade was going well, and this big old float, was going down there just trucking right along and all of a sudden it just died in the middle of the parade and it just sat and when it died and it sat nobody else could get around it well here's the ironic thing about this was it was the float that represented standard oil company which was one of the greatest biggest resources for fuel that there was in america back at that time it ran out of gas i thought that was pretty funny with all the vast resources that this company had and this truck had, it was out of gas, and it wasn't going anywhere. Well, that's kind of like us as, as Christians, as the church. How many Christians and how many churches are just like this float? They have all the resources that the Holy Spirit gives us. We've got it all, but they're not going anywhere. That's, that's the route. I mean, Conley just talking about that. That's the route that the church is taking right now we have this vast array of resources we have the word of god we have the holy spirit we have each other but yet we're not going anywhere we're just sit we're dead in the water we're just sitting on main street I feel like we're out of fuel if you got your bible stand up with me just a moment we're gonna be in acts one and then we're gonna flip over to acts two kind of bounce around a little bit acts one one through eight bible says the former trustees uh treat treaties have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise mine's red I don't know if you can see this or not mine just turned red wait for the promise of the father which saith he ye have heard of me that's Jesus for John truly baptized with water but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel, or to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father hath, hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of of the earth now flip over to chapter 2 verse 1 chapter 2 verse 1 says and when the day of pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray. Lord God, again this morning we thank you. God, we can't thank you enough for the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for it, the guidance that it gives us, for the conviction that it gives us. Lord, we thank you for not breaking that promise, for sending a comforter as you exited this earth and when you went back to heaven. Lord, we thank you for not leaving us comfortless. We thank you for that still small voice that's inside each one of us that is the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that for its guidance as well. And God, I pray today as, as we look at this a little bit deeper, God, I pray that it would give us more strength, more knowledge, more encouragement to be more like this church at Pentecost. Lord, give us the drive and the passion that that church had. May we be that next church at Pentecost where we can shine the light of Jesus like this group did. Have that desire for the lost like that church did. God, I pray we could be Something amazing, just like that church at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit still is real now as it was back then, and I pray, God, that we can feel it and we can use it in a great way. We love you. We praise you this morning. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, the book of Acts is one of the most important books for the New Testament church. The whole Bible is important for us. But when it boils down to the, to the church, to the New Testament church, there's different places we can go to get guidance. The book of Titus is a great one to go to, and Timothy. But the book of Acts that we're just reading from, this is the one where the church itself needs to turn back to, and I think we need to read it a little bit more often than we do right now, especially in the times that we're living in. It shows the birth of the church. We just read a little bit of it. The birth of the church it shows the growth of the church. But then you turn around and look at it, it shows the problems of the church. Yes, churches have problems. Then it shows the persecution of the church, and then it shows the scattering of the church. And that the scattering of the church, that's kind of where we are. We're part of that scattering of the church because Jesus told them right there in, in verse 8. He said, be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. And then here's where we came in and into the, and into the uttermost part of the earth. That's us. We're the uttermost part of the earth. Now, did he say that you need to run to Canada, that you got to run to Mexico, that you need to be in Brazil and South America, and you need to make sure that you swing by Avery County? No, he just said the uttermost parts of the earth, and here we are. We're the uttermost. He sent them. So that church scattering that took place in Acts at Pentecost, after Pentecost, that's us. Now, we also read right here about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is extremely important because the power in the church and the power for the church came from the Holy Spirit. It did not come from Peter. It did not come from the apostles. The power that is in the church and for the church came only from the Holy Spirit. He sent it down, and it's been used. Now, I'm going to catch you up a little bit real fast. i got three little points right here on the book of Acts. And I say little points, I mean little points. It is written by Luke. There's point number one. Number two, it's sent to, to uh, Theopolis, Theopolis uh, and he was a high-ranking Gentile. He was a prominent man 
that this is written to. And, and, re, and I think one of the reasons Luke wrote this thing to him is because of his importance. And it would be a good way to get the gospel out to people because he was looked up to and people respected him. And so if he received this letter, he would be able to spread the gospel as well. And then the last point provides an account of the early church following the Great Commission. That's the three things that you need to know about the book of Acts right now. Now we're going to get into the good stuff. As, as Christ followers, as, as the church, as Christians, whatever you want to call us, and members of his church, we have to live and we have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to. We've got it. Why not use it? He's given it to us through salvation. The, the moment, the split second that you're saved, you received the Holy Spirit. That's not something that you have to work towards. It's not something that after you hit a certain limit in your offering that you receive it. It's not something that the preacher hands out every Sunday and you only get an allotment of it and at the end of the week and you're going to run out. It is received through salvation. And that was another one of those promises that Jesus made us. We've got it now. And with the Holy Spirit, with that power, we have great things that we can do with it. One of the things that, that comes with the Holy Spirit, with this power, is that it seals us. And that's a great, listen, verse 5 again, it says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Jesus told his disciples, but ye shall be baptized with the, with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, baptized in the Holy Ghost. At that, and it happened. The day of Pentecost, when it hit, when they went through this, when they went through the, 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 the speaking in tongues and the translations and the, the fire and the wind and all the things that happened, this is where that bapti baptism of the Holy Spirit took place. At that moment, people were permanently and I say permanently, they never lost that. They were permanently indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this, folks, is where the church began. What we read, you just read the birth of the church. This is where we started. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that moment when the believer is in union with Jesus and other believers. We come together. And we're one, which is where we become the church. It is at that moment that the Holy Spirit pours down into our hearts, and it fills us up, and we become one with the church and with others. This happens at the exact moment of salvation. Again, it's not something that we've got to work towards. I don't know where you got saved. I don't know where the Holy Spirit came into you, but it came into you as soon as you asked Jesus into your heart. It's a one-time act that seals us in our relationship with Jesus, a one-time act. I don't know if I've told y'all about this or not, but the chiropractor I used to go to in Boone, his nurse or whatever she was, she was uh, she she was scatterbrained sometimes. She's the one that left me inverted for a while. They forgot about me, put me in that inversion table, and forgot about me. We won't talk about that. I think that's a lot of my problems now. Up here, not on my back. But anyway, she came in, and she was I was doing that TENS unit, and they had that thing hooked up to my back, and we were sitting there talking. I'm just thankful she didn't leave me hooked up to that and forget about me. But we're, I, we were sitting there talking, and she broke down, and she started crying, and she said, I, I pulled over, and she, she said the, the Holy Spirit just was just leading me to get saved again. 
I said, again? She said, yeah, it happens about once a week. I said, really? Do tell. I, I'm, I'm curious. Ta- tell me about this. And she's never had it. It's the way she was raised. So we had a pretty in-depth conversation. And she, she understands now. Now, what, I don't know what she's done with it since then, but once saved, always saved. So there's no need to go through this every day. I said, and I, I was being smart, but I was actually being serious at the same time. I said, do you get baptized every Sunday? I was being, you know, I wanted to know where do you stand on your salvation? And so if you get saved every, every week, are you baptized every week? She said, no, she's never been baptized. So that was something to look forward to one day. When somebody is baptized, that person is submerged and completely covered by water once. Now, I've told you all a hundred times probably, I thought I was saved at eight years old. I went through the baptismal waters with my sister and a bunch of others, and then I realized at age 15 that I was not saved. And so I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I was baptized, and I don't want to say baptized again because the first time was just a public bath. There was nothing in that. There was nothing there because I had not been saved. second time, yes, I know I saved. We don't keep plunging people over and over and over and over. I've done a revival at Tabernacle Baptist Church several years ago, and uh, the preacher busted my bubble. <laughs> we, had a, we had three saved one night, and uh, we, the preacher wasn't there. I don't know if he was there for this one, but the preacher wasn't there the whole time for revival. He was sick. And uh, one of the girls that got saved, I called him that night to let him go, or to let him know what was going on. And he said, yeah, it happens about once a week or every once a month with her. I mean, you talk about busting, but he didn't have to tell me that. He, he said, I don't know how many times we baptized that young girl. But anyway, it happens once, and it's not something that we do over and over and over. And it's the same thing. So we're talking about water baptism, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the same thing. When we receive that Holy Spirit, it is a one-and-done deal. You are sealed. You are, it is in you forever. It's not going to leak out or creep out or leave you or anything like that. You can't get rid of it. You couldn't if you tried, and you wouldn't if you tried. You wouldn't want to. When you have it, you don't want to get rid of it because that Holy Spirit is what keeps us on track. The Holy Spirit is what helps us make those good, sound, godly decisions. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us through this life to do what is right in the eyes of God. It's what is right by the book. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, at that instant, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you are completely, you're not sprinkled, you're not sprinkled with the Holy Spirit. You're You're not just dusted with the Holy Spirit. You're not just christened with the Holy Spirit. You are completely submerged in the Holy Spirit. Go back to when John baptized Jesus in the Jordan. Did he get down in the water with him and he just splashed him up on him? No. It says he went down under the water. He was completely submerged in that water, and that is the way we are with the Holy Spirit. It's just all up in us. At that instance, you are completely submerged in the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to these three verses. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 4.30 
and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. Guaranteed sealed. Guaranteed fresh. That's the way I, every time I read that. Guaranteed sealed. Guaranteed fresh. It's always going to be the same. We know we get up in the morning and His grace and His mercy is always new. The Holy Spirit is always fresh in our hearts. It should always be there with us. No matter what goes on in this life, no matter how down and out you might get, the Holy Spirit will always be fresh and in your heart because you are completely submerged in the Holy Spirit. Now, the next thing, the power that sends us. We have the Holy Spirit gives us that power. It's the power that sends us. Verse 8 says, but, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. We need to put Matthew 19. I'm actually going to go over there. Matthew 19, or 28, 19. I can find it here. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And you switch over to verse uh, 8. You just keep going. But you shall receive power after that, that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea, all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. You just kind of put it all together. It's Jesus speaking. It's all in red. It's Jesus telling us to go out. He's he's saying, I'm going to send you with power. I'm going to send you with the power of the Holy Spirit. I am going to send you out. You don't just go and do things on a whim. You've got to get trained up in it. You've got to have confidence in what you're doing. So without the power of the Holy Spirit, these apostles could not go out and do. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, preachers could not preach. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we couldn't do anything. So it was given to them before they were sent out. God didn't send them out and say, when you get there, I'll give you something special. He gave them something special and then sent them out to the uttermost parts of the earth. Both parts. Matthew 28 and Acts uh, chapter 1 we just read. Both are part of Jesus' last words to the disciples before uh, he ascended back to heaven. You ever heard this the old saying, famous last words? Famous last words. Usually something good doesn't come after that. <laughs> but this was famous last words, and something great happened after this. He ascended back. He went to heaven. He tarried down here on earth for 40 days. After his resurrection, he wandered around, people seen him, he talked to him, he preached to him, he gave him some more promises, he fulfilled more promises, and then he went back to be on the right hand of the Father. Great things happened after that. Jesus' plan is to send us out to witness to the lost. That's his plan for us. That is what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission, or in a lot of churches now, it's the Great Omission. They've just taken it out because we're not going to do that. It's the great commission that he wants us to go out. That's the plan for Jesus, for the lost. Matthew 9, 37 says, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Pray that he will send laborers into the harvest. 
Where is the harvest? Is it the hay fields? According to my sinuses right now, yes. My allergies are killing me. Is that the harvest? No. Where is the harvest? Newland, Boone, definitely Boone, Bullen Rock, Watauga, Avery, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, United States. doesn't matter. That's the harvest. The harvest is those souls that are lost. That is our harvest. And you're a farmer. That's your job as a Christian is to go out to this harvest, go out to these lost souls, and to lead them to Jesus, harvest them up. He says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his, har his harvest. Pray that he would send out the laborers to his harvest. Now, are you going to sit there and pray that he'll send somebody else? Lord, don't send me, send somebody else. There's all kinds of people in this world, don't send me. Go back to Moses like we talked about this morning. He, he had some problems. Lord still used him. Lord sent him. Win them to Jesus. That's what he is asking us to do. Win them to Jesus. All these lost souls that we're encountering every single day, and you can't sit here and tell me that you don't encounter at least one lost soul every day. He's saying, win them to Jesus. That's, all, that's what we got to do, win them to Jesus. Acts 8, 8.35 it says, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached to him Jesus. He, he opened up the scroll of God at the time, and he read out of Isaiah, and he just kept going. And then he went from Isaiah into salvation. He's preached Jesus right there on the spot in the chariot. And then he said, you know what, let's just go on down here and get baptized. While we're at it, you've received it. They've received the Holy Spirit. He received it in the chariot and others. Matthew 28, 19, again, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, here's the thing about this right here. Jesus knew that we could not do this on our own power. That's why he had to command us. If Jesus had left that part out, do you think the church would have ever grown? Do you think that, oh, and I'm being dead serious right now, do you think that there would be eight churches in a two-mile stretch of Squirrel Creek right now if God had not added in? I'm dead serious about that one. Do you think that we would have all these churches right now if he had not said what he said? If he did not command us, give us this commission right here, do you think there would be churches in Avery County? No. Do you know why? Because we're afraid, we're lazy, we're scared, we're timid, we're busy. That's, that's the way it is. We're distracted. We're disobedient people. So he had to tell us to go ye therefore into all the nations. He had to instruct us. He had to command us to go out because he knew his creation. He knew his people. He knew what human beings were like. He knew our mindset. He knew our hearts. And it's like, if I don't tell them what to do, they ain't going to do it. And so he instructed us. He's guiding us. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us along. The only way we can do this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That he promised us. That is it. On our own, it ain't happening. On our own, we ain't going to witness. On our own, we're not going to preach. On our own, we're not going to grow. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do all that. Now listen to me. When you get the, that power, you're sealed. Remember that, you are sealed. You are saturated in it. 
and you are standing in it. It's all over you. When we talk about the world seeing the light of Jesus on us, that's that Holy Spirit. It's all over us, and it's glowing on us. There's nothing that can stop you. The devil himself might try to throw a wrench in it, but there ain't nothing in this world that's going to stop you with that kind of power, and it is a power. The power that sets us apart is also the Holy Spirit. That's what it gives us. It, sets, it makes us different. These are, are some of the most important verses in the New Testament. I want to read this one more time. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from, heavens, from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These are, again, some extremely important verses for us, for the New Testament church especially, but for us. Jesus promised that he was going to build his church. He said he was going to build the church. He promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And then he promised us that there would be power to his followers. So he's making these promises right here. Folks, Jesus always keeps his promises. The day of Pentecost fulfilled every single promise that he made. Every one of them. Everything he told the apostles was going to happen, everything he said before the, the crucifixion, everything that he said after the resurrection, he proved his point and he made, he made a promise and he stuck with that promise and he fulfilled that promise. And like I always say, the only promise that he hasn't fulfilled, and it's just not time yet, is his coming back. But anything else that we've read in the Bible, he has fulfilled. And the next thing is just him coming back. That day of Pentecost fulfilled that promise that he made. It was a what we would call a signature moment for the body of Christ. I can't imagine what it was like when all this took place. I just sit... They can't make a movie great enough about what took place right there. there. There won't be enough power in that movie. They can't have enough movie stars and good music and a good set and a good scene to, to show us the power and the, and the nature of what took place at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit filled the apostles in a, in a powerful, unmistakable way as the church was being born. Because that's what we, I said a while ago. It was, we're, we read the church being birthed right there at Pentecost. Now I want you to look at the evidence that God gave us right here. I, I love, just there's a few little verses right here that really just stick out with me on this one. They were together, now not, not just physically together. The Bible says that they were in one accord. It doesn't mean they all rolled up into the upper room in a Honda. All right, what he's talking about right here is they were in unity. They were together. Some of y'all got that. I heard a snicker. Then he had the sudden sound of a mighty rushing wind. So there's two parts right here that we're going to look at. You have the sound of the mighty rushing wind, and then you have the tongues of fire. There's significance in wind and fire when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to God. We could take that back if you wanted to, to Exodus, when he was leading the children of Israel out into the promised land because they had that pillar of smoke and fire leading them out. 
But when you see smoke and fire, when you hear see wind, sorry, wind and fire right here, John MacArthur said the very blast of God's breath. I like that. That's that, that's that, that wind that was coming out is the blast of God's breath. But the, and you got the tongues of fire that rested on them. Wind represents the power of God, and fire represents his presence. You have power and presence that came from this at Pentecost. Power and presence was upon them at the day of Pentecost. When you combine wind and fire, you have a blaze that spreads everywhere. When you combine, that's, if you ever look at, uh, shoot, what's, going down towards Spruce Pine, what's the name of Is it Trinity, Tabernacle Baptist Church? It's a really funky intersection. Uh, I can't think of the name of now. Anyway, they have a, their Smoky Bear sign sitting right down there in the intersection. What is the name of that? Is it Temple? Temple Baptist. Yeah, so right in that area. As the, there's always, you know, some of them even going down, um, is that 71 going down towards Marion? Uh, I forget the name of that fire department, but they've got Smoky Bear sign out there. And it tells you fire danger level. You know, low, moderate, high, don't burn, whatever you do, don't smoke or don't blink, don't do anything that might cause a spark. When you put wind and fire together, bad things can happen or good things can happen. Good things actually happened right here. So nowadays, if you put wind and fire together and you get a high RPG rating, then if you was to go outside and burn a little brush pile and, it, and it's so dry, it could get out and burn down a lot of stuff. So that's not good. When you put wind and fire together, fire goes places. So we have wind and fire right here at Pentecost. And it went places. God went places because of that. And one of the things that really sticks out with me about Pentecost, it breaks down the three things, three main things that we read about with Jesus. We look at Bethlehem, we look at the cross, and we look at Pentecost right here. If you look at Bethlehem, Bethlehem is God is with us. If you go back and look at the cross, it says God is for us. And when you go back to Pentecost and look at it, it says God is in us. That's, that's the three main, there's a lot more with Jesus, though, but I'm just saying there, that's the three big events where we see Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Bethlehem, God with us. The cross, God for us. Pentecost, God in us. And just like the apostles, we are set apart to begin a good work. We are set apart. After salvation, we're set apart. We're not of this world. We're totally different. And so we're set apart to go spread the gospel. Go make disciples is what he's wanting us to do. Sharing the gospel with everyone that's, that we encounter. We've been set apart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the last part we'll look at here is the, the power of the Holy Spirit. It strengthens us. The apostles were going to need the strength that only the Holy Spirit could give. And it gave it to them, and they started their work. If you try to do a good work in Jesus' name without being called by Jesus or having the Holy Spirit in it, it's not going to work. It's going to fail. I was reading, the other day I was reading about uh, church plant failures. Church plant failures. That's terrible. Shouldn't, shouldn't say that, but it happens. People, pastors, there'll be a falling out in a church, and they'll split, and they'll go try to start another church. But they'll do it because of themselves, not because the Lord told them to do it. There are failures out there. 
If you don't do it because you're led by the Holy Spirit to do it, it's not going to work. The spiritual warfare was about to ramp up with this bunch right here. There was going to be criticism. There was going to be a lot of things take place because God was in it. Because God was in it, that means the devil was going to get involved, and he was going to make it tough on them. Resistance was going to come from every side, especially from the religious leaders. They was getting ready to get rough with the Jews. They'd be arrested, thrown in jail, put in stocks, beaten, flogged, stone killed, you name it. They were going to go through it. And we read that whenever we done our study on 12 ordinary men. We read how they died. It wasn't pretty. It's very gruesome the way they all died. They were martyred. But when you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you can say things like this right here. Acts 4.19 says, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken you and unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which have been seen and heard. Acts 5.29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And here's one of my favorites right here, Stephen. Right, right before he got stoned to death, over in Acts chapter 7, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. We can say things like that. With the power of the Holy Spirit, we can say things like that. Was it harsh? Absolutely. Did it step on their toes? Yes, it did. Did it make them mad and kill them? Yeah. But did they lie? No. Peter, Paul, Stephen, James, John, Bartholomew, you name it, they spoke truth. Did it offend? It convicted. It convicted their hearts. Those people that were around them, it convicted them. It gives you that kind of power. If we're going to do the work that we're called to do, if we're going to be the church that we are called to be, if we're going to, uh, to shatter the strongholds of Satan, we're going to need the strength that only the Holy Spirit can give us. It doesn't matter how big your budget is. It doesn't matter how much time you have to spare. What matters is that you have the Holy Spirit. If you want to do anything in this world to glorify God, to see the lost saved, you're going to have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. I can't give it to you. Deacons can't give it to you. We've been called by God for certain things, but one of them is not to indwell the Holy Spirit in you. I can't give that to you. I can encourage you, though. We're going to need the strength that only only the Holy Spirit can provide. Now, there, there's two. This power can be utilized in two different ways. I'm going to close with this. I want you to think of the power of the Holy Spirit like 10 gallons of gas. If I have 10 gallons of gas, if I have a gas can with 10 gallons in it, and I set that thing down, and I take the cap off of it, and I put me a little trail of gas up to it, and I light a match, and I put it in, what's it going to do? It's going to explode. Ten gallons of gas will explode. But if I take that same ten gallons of gas and I pour it over my truck, it lasts for a long time, right? There's two different ways that you can use the power of gas. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, it exploded, and now 
It's lasting forever. That power of the Holy Spirit just keeps going. It just keeps going. It's just like the Energizer battery. It just keeps going. It can't run out. It's, it's over a, a long time. Not a short time, but over a long time. It provides us with the power we need to do the work of the church and the Great Commission until Jesus returns. So, what I'll tell you all this morning is that we need to tap into that. We need to tap into what they had at Pentecost. The same Holy Spirit that changed everything over, I don't know how many years ago, 2,000 years ago. The same Holy Spirit that came in like a rushing wind and gave them tongues of fire, changed everything in their lives. That same Holy Spirit that affected them can affect us. And I believe it's time for the churches to tap into that. We're missing out. We're missing out because we still know the harvest is plentiful. But the Bible also says the laborers are few. So we got to ask God, call more laborers. Ask God to send more harvesters, more helpers, more hands, more feet, more tongues. More hearts. Ask God to send more because we have a lot to harvest and a short time to do it. Stand with me. We're going to close out, please. We've got a lot of work to do. Lots of work to do. We're getting ready to hit a, a spot here in next month with, the, with kids in Bible school, and, and you talk about a harvest right there. It's, it's a great harvest. Look, always, I always look forward to it. It's tedious. It's hard, hard work. But the results are out of this world. So pray for it. Pray for the Bible school as everybody prepares for it. Pray for each other. But pray that God would send those children here to hear the word of God. And we could be a blessing to them. Anybody have anything on their heart before we close out? It's quiet when the youngins ain't here and Clayton gets taken to the back. Nothing. James, would you mind to dismiss us, please? See y'all Wednesday.